So, A'udhu Billah Samiya Al-Ali Min Ash-Shaytan Al-Ayn Al-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, Most Merciful, Ever Merciful And may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad And the purified members of His household and progeny Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah Okay, so until now we spent a little bit of time discussing the different objections that someone with a very materialist mind frame may have against everything we've said uh, regarding worldviews, religion, the existence of God and the attributes of God. So the next big topic that we wanted to talk about was going to have to do with divine justice. So there are three big, two to three big topics that fall under divine justice and inshallah we'll get to them. Uh, basically, do we have a free will or not? Uh, what do we mean when we say there is predestination and divine planning? Uh, and then what do we do with the problem of evil in the world? Okay, so these are the big three topics that are usually addressed, discussed under the heading of divine justice. Before we jump into that, there is one topic that sometimes is discussed at length and sometimes is discussed quickly before we get into it. And that's the last topic. So inshallah today I'd like to finish that topic off. And that topic is the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We talked about the existence of Allah and we talked about the attributes of Allah. But one thing we have not talked about is, is God one or multiple? So in other words, the objections, the questions that we've addressed until now have to do more with believing in God versus atheism. Right? We said, is there a God or not? And if there is a God, what kind of God do we mean? Okay, so we talked about the attributes of Allah. The last question, and I don't think we have a huge problem with that, that's why I'm, I don't want to spend more than this lecture on it, but if you guys want to, we can delve more into it. It's not the general topic, but under it there might be some questions that require more discussion if you feel like it. You let me know. Uh, this this topic is more to address the oneness of Allah versus polytheism or the belief in more than one God. So we've already addressed the issue of belief in God versus no God. Now we want to talk about one God versus multiple gods. Okay? So here we can have faiths that have believed in thousands of gods, like we find in Hinduism, and we have faiths that believe in two gods. Anywhere in there, we call them polytheists, or they believe in multiple gods. There are, for instance, uh, faiths that believe in uh, two sources of uh, everything in the world that come to down to, that can be summarized as the source of good and the source of evil. In a way, you can understand the yin and the yang in that way. Okay? Or the old uh, religion in Persia believed in that. They had two sources for everything in the world. It's good and bad, light and darkness. Okay, so everything in the world can be seen as that duality and that's the source of everything. And there are some who kind of believe that you know, evil and good or God and the devil are kind of at the same level and they each are responsible for certain things in the world. And we're going to come to the different options we have if we want to believe in more than one God. Okay, and we'll see what we answer them. So why is it that, based on everything we've said, why is it that some people may still believe in more than one God? 
What's the origin of that? For the origin of that, we have to go back in the history of humanity. And I'll mention a, a couple of points about that towards a little bit later. Uh, but if we look at the traditional history of human beings based on history as we know it today, the majority of historians, they'll say that human beings started believing in the divinity or, or theism or godness because they looked at nature. Science. They looked at nature before, before science. So if we go back 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, they were looking at the phenomena of nature. And they would see something like uh, a rainfall, and they would see a thunderstorm, and they would see the ocean, they would see clouds and the sun and the moon and stars. And for every phenomena that they see in the world, they would say, well, how is it working the way it is? Why does it rain? Why is the sea or the ocean behaving this way when we're in the ship? Why is it not raining now? Why is the sun behaving this way or the, the moon behaving this way? And for each of them, they started ascribing a divinity, a god. So there's the god of the moon and the god of the sun and the god of the ocean and the god of the fish and the god of the cattle and the, so on and so forth. With time, human beings became a lot more mature and a lot more civilized and a lot more evolved in their thinking and they started seeing that it's a lot more regular. And why do we say that? Because they used to consider the natural phenomena as though they're behaving like human beings. So there's a God that controls the rain, and that God is just like us. We have feelings, so that God ha must have feelings too. So they can get jealous, and they can get angry, and they can get happy, and, 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 and. But with time, you start seeing that, no, this is where science comes in, and you start seeing it's a lot more regular. It's not there's jealousy or anger. That's not how we explain what's happening. There's a natural law or science comes in and says there's a natural law, and we'll talk about that in a second. There's a natural law that makes it work this way. And with time, they started seeing that while we may look at different things happening in nature as, the, as though they're separate, as though they're independent of each other, the more you look at them, the more you see actually those two things that look different. They're one thing, but we're looking at it from different angles. So maybe the wind is related to the clouds, and the clouds are related to the, to the rain, and the rain is related to the cycle of water. Okay, so maybe all of water is one thing, and not seven different things. And this started reducing the amount of, the amount of divinities or gods that we have. Okay? So that's one thing. With time, people went from a multiplicity of phenomena and therefore gods to simpler models of belief. That's one. With that, we're talking about the reasons why there's so much belief in a lot of deities, a lot of divinities. There's also a cultural identity. And this is something we still find today. So in that time, you used to live in a little town or in a tribe or in a big family or in a nation. Regardless of, everybody wants to have their own and this is something we find today with patriotism. Everybody wants their own. You cheer for the team of your town, your team of your province or your state against those of someone else. Same idea. Everybody wants to have their own God. And so someone else may have the God of something. Well, I have to have my God of that something too. 
Okay, and that's the one I worship, and that's the one I make sacrifices to, so that they help me against theirs, especially in things like war, and things like, uh, you know, there's a competition, there's conflict, there are issues between us and other tribes, and so on and so forth. Okay, so that's the second reason. So these are reasons why you find that there are a lot of gods, and people keep insisting on keeping them in place. Another reason, another reason is these gods justify a lot of the desires that people want to keep. So the very animal basic desires, if you have a god telling you what to do, the god who tells you to behave like an animal in certain ways, in certain conditions, in certain situations, well then that, it, it suits you fine. That's what you want to do. So that helps justify a lot of the behavior of certain people. And then you add to that, and this one is very important, you add a political dimension. So with time in history, there are people like kings, tyrants, people who are oppressive and unjust, who are trying to impose themselves on other people, and so they try to maintain this in place. And they do that not only, so their excuse is they want to keep the worship of other gods in place, but really what they're trying to do is to establish the worship of themselves with time. So that people worship them, and this is exactly what we find with the Pharaoh, with the with the Fara'ana, right? The, the kings of Egypt during those dynasties, that's exactly what they tried to do. So they had people worshipping them directly. So I don't no longer need to go worship. There are other gods, other divinities, and there is me personally as an individual that you're going to worship me and you're going to do whatever I say. And everything is justified because I'm a god and I need to be worshipped. Okay? The So this is something we have to keep in mind because throughout history, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but throughout history, how religion was often, and still is today, used for political means. Okay? We always have to be careful with that. Is it really religious? Is it a religious argument? Are we talking about religion? Or is there a political dimension? And as soon as there's a political dimension, you have to start looking a little bit more carefully into it. Okay? This is just something we mentioned very quickly. The worship of these uh, gods, these divinities, with time, people also want to have something concrete. When I say the God that we described and we studied and that we said we believe in, is not really something you touch and feel and see, right? It's a very abstract thought. And human beings in general have trouble with that. They want things that they can access very quickly, concrete things. So what did they do? They started creating the idols. They create the statues. They create the totems, okay? And we see that in different civilizations. You want something that you can touch and feel. And this is, in part today, they even have versions of that in human beings. There are people who are said to be sacred or carrying a part of God in them, in certain religions. And they worship, for instance, a girl until she reaches the age of, you know, nine, ten years old because she's carrying the feminine power of the goddess in her and so on and so forth. Okay, that exists a lot in the world today depending on where you go and, and what you study. So all of that, did it come from nothing or was there maybe something good out of it? We have in some of our narrations, some of our hadith, it looks like the reality is human beings did not start this way. The way things started out, people believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in one God, in one power, in one source for everything, because instinctively, this is how we're wired. And with time, one of the issues that happened is there were very good people. 
kings, for instance, that were extremely just, righteous, virtuous, who ruled their people very, very well. And people wanted to keep their legend alive, their name alive. So with time, they created statues for them. But instead of saying, you know, we created the statue to, to pay our respect and to remember those people, to make them into legends and to remember them and to aspire to be like them, with time they idolized them and they started worshipping them and they started making sacrifices to them. Okay? And those became gods. And in some instances, even in the Holy Quran, there are mentions of some gods. We have narrations that say those names that are mentioned in the Quran, they're actually names of very good people in their time. And their own towns, their own people turned them into gods much later. They corrupted those people's names and made them into gods. Those people never claimed to be gods. They were just good people. But with time, with centuries, you know, with generations that go afterwards, there are people, and we have that even with our imams. Don't we have Imam Ali alayhi salam that some people started worshipping him in his time? They started saying that you are a god. We have that because of all the good all the miraculous, all the good, all the virtuous that they saw from him, they say no human being can actually be, be this good, can be this, this perfect in every way. You must be a god. And they started worshipping him. And he's telling them, I'm not a god, I'm just a human being. I've been blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with certain bounties and benefits and so on and so forth. And this is well known in history. Okay. So, now that we understand a little bit the origin from all of this, and that it's a little bit more complex than just saying there are people who wanted to believe in a lot of, of gods. Okay? Let's very quick, very quickly remember a relationship that we explained when we talked about the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We talked about three attributes of essence. Okay? When, when we look at Allah in Himself, not as His actions, only at Allah Himself. We talked about three attributes. We said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a creator, Allah Khaliq. And we said, from that, we derive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a lord. So he has lordship, which means rububiyyah, rabb, when we say rabb. And we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ilah. He has divinity or godliness. Okay, so Allah has a khaliq, very clear. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates. And we talked at length about that. I'll mention it a little bit more towards the end. But I think that one is clear. Allah creates absolutely. And we said this is the only entity that can create out of nothing, bring something completely out of nothing, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we derive that when we talked about the necessary being and what it means. Okay, so we're not going to go back there. The second point we said is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if He is truly the Creator, then He alone can manage all the affairs of the world. He alone can decide how to run the world. The management, this is what we call rububiyyah. It's the power, the ability, the faculty to actually upbring, to raise, to take care of, to manage all the aspects. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is truly the creator, in the sense that He's the only one who can cause, cause the existence of everything. So He can not only cause fire to exist, but He also gives fire the ability to burn. Because that's not a given. Fire could have been like water and not burn. Why is it that when I drink water, my, my thirst is quenched? Why is it not something else? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to create it in this manner. 
So this is how you manage the affairs of the world. This is what we called lordship. Okay. We said that Allah can only be a true lord, can only be a true Rabb, if he is truly a creator. If he has not created everything and every aspect, he does not, he's not worthy of managing all of its affairs. He would not know how. You can only truly manage in the absolute sense, not in the way we manage things, in the existential sense of the level of Allah. You can only manage truly things if you've created them. Because you're the one who created them. You brought them into existence. You know everything about them. Okay. If we put those two together, for us as human beings, there's a third one. That's the third attribute that we talked about, which is al-uluhiyya. Which to us means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only entity that is worthy of being worshipped. This was a, a cycle, a chain. They go together. I can only worship something worthy of being worshipped. Before I say I worship, that thing has to be worthy of my worship. So which thing would be worthy of my worship? Well, something that controls the world in every aspect of it, which is lordship. So something that has lordship. And to have lordship, you have to have creatorship. So this is the dynamic that we try to explain and understand from the beginning. Okay? So this is a reminder. But it's an important reminder for what we're about to say because we're talking about the reasons why... We're talking about the reasons why someone may end up believing in more or less gods. Do you believe in one god or more than one god? Okay. With that reminder in mind, let's look at the different scenarios that we can have. We look at the world. Everything that exists in the world requires a cause. Has to come from somewhere. Okay? We can only have three scenarios when we talk about having a lot of gods. Scenario one. I look at everything in the world and I say that, let's say there is five gods. Let's say there's ten gods. However many we want to say. We say that each one of the things that exist in the world has been caused by all of these gods. That's one scenario. So we look at, on the top we have the gods, and on the bottom we have this world and everything in it. So scenario one, everything in the world comes from everything on the god side. So if we have two gods, then everything in the world comes from the two gods at the same time. Equally. If we have a thousand gods, then the one thousand gods, all of them are making everything in this world be what it is. Okay? That's one scenario. What's the issue with that scenario? The issue with that scenario is, let's go to the most fundamental thing. The most fundamental thing we know is existence. Okay? So that we don't spend too much time on this topic. If we look at something that exists... The, the notion of existence is only one. And ultimately, that's all we're looking for. Where does the existence of things come from? So if we look at this and we say, how many existences does it have? It only has one existence. 
you remove its existence, it's no longer there, right? It ceases to exist. It doesn't have other existences. Okay. How many gods do I need for that? If we're saying one, then that's what we said. We no longer have polytheism. We're done. If you say there is more than one God, so are we saying that each one of these gods is giving a separate existence to everything? Or is it one existence? If it's one existence, then what are the other gods doing? So we don't need them. Out. If it's more than one existence, it's completely illogical for anything to have more than one existence. You either exist or you don't. And that exists, existence must come from one God. If there was more than one God, there would be more than one existence to things. That's according to scenario one, which is all the things in the world are receiving all the causality from all other gods. That's one scenario. And someone may say, no, 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 that's not what we mean. What we mean is, and this is much more popular, what we mean is, some of the things in the world have received their causality from some of the gods. So let's say there's only two gods. So we have some things in the world that are from God A, and the other things in the world from God B. And that's it. Because I believe in two gods. If I believed in ten gods, well, each one of them has their own share. They're not sharing anything. Each one has their portion. It's separate. There's no overlap. There can't be because we proved there's no overlap in the first objection. So what's the issue with that? And this one is a popular one. The majority of people who believe in the pluralism, they fall into this. And this kind of belief, plurality. They believe that there is more than one God, but each one of them is responsible for one type of thing. They give causality in one way. The biggest problem with this it requires just a little bit of attention. It's, but all of you will get it right away, I'm sure. Hatta we don't spend, again, too much time on it. When we look at the way in which the world has been created, the system of the world, the system of the universe, maybe there was a time, a long time ago, when we could say, you know, one, one thing in the world is rain. And another thing in the world is earth. And another thing in the world is the sun. And another thing in the world is the star that we're seeing. Maybe, maybe 2,000 years ago that was possible. Today this is impossible. Anyone who understands how the world works, you understand that everything is connected. Okay, so at a superficial level, everything is connected as things. If you want to go a little bit more deep, a little bit more abstract, you don't even need to look at the things in themselves. You look at the laws that hold all of these things together, and this is what reveals to you, oh, there's one system for all of this. All of this is connected with the same system. These are not different systems. These are not separate systems. Therefore, we cannot have separate gods, each one working with their own system. They're all connected. If you look at something like a star or a galaxy, gigantic, as more big than we can ever imagine, and when we look at the way an atom works, these are connected. The laws are the same. 
Today, they've reduced all the laws to four big laws. For everything that we know in the universe, it's been reduced to four big laws. And even those can be simplified into more. The problem they have right now is they're having trouble coming up with one law for all of them. That's what everybody is working on. The big physicists who believe that there's a way to unify, a unified general theory. To put all the four forces of nature, gravity and strong and weak, electromagnetism and uh, and quantum the quantum forces, the atomic forces. These are all the laws that are known. Everything that we understand, everything that we know in the world is reducible to these four laws today. That's where physics is at. And they're trying to reduce those to one. Which means what? What's implied in this? Is that everybody who understands the world we live in understands that it's just one system. With one set of laws that are valid everywhere you look. An atom is an atom. If everything that exists is from an atom, that's it, that's all I need to know. You cannot have a a God for atoms and a God for something else with his own rules and his own laws. It wouldn't work, right? And that's why we have, and I'm not going to read today, because sometimes some people say I read too much. Okay, I just wanted to show you that this is the title of a book. I'm not going to read from it. Okay, this is a book called The Hidden Unity in Nature's Laws. And he goes through everything, all the laws. And he explains in the back of the book, physics has progressed through the ages. It has succeeded in explaining more and more diverse phenomena with fewer and fewer underlying principles. At the end, it's all connected. If you go through the table of contents in this book, energy, heat, chance, motion on earth, electricity and magnetism, light, space and time, quantum revolution, gravitation and curved space-time, quantum theory with special relativity, uh, quarks and what holds them together, unifying weak forces, gravitation plus quantum theory, particle symmetry in the universe. He's basically trying to explain everything. And this is not from him. He's just putting together what physics says today about it. Okay? And then one, one aspect where we can see a, a little bit of a, this revealed very concretely, maybe we, when we say the laws of nature, when we say that, sometimes that's still abstract. Concretely, there is one way to put it all together, which is the language for all of these laws, which is mathematics. The math that is used is the same. And the, the big mathematicians believe that everything is math in the world. So this is one very quick sentence. Okay, this is this book, Roger Penrose is perhaps, if not the biggest, one of the biggest mathematicians and thinkers of you know physics and astrophysics in the world today, very, very well known. He was a friend and worked a long time with Stephen Hawking when they were young and so on and so forth. He has a lot of books. This book, The Road to Reality, he basically goes through all the laws and he explains them. And he goes through the math, how we got there, and he gives his thoughts about them. A complete guide to the laws of the universe. So on page 1033, towards the end of the page, he says, The most important single insight that has emerged from our journey of more than two and one half millennia, so for 2,500 years that we've been as human beings working on these laws, the one insight, the single most important insight that comes out, that has emerged, is that there is a deep unity between 
certain areas of mathematics and the workings of the physical world. So, people who study the world, they know that there is only one system, and one set of laws, and one language in which you can reduce everything. So if you agree with that, then you also understand that it can only come from one cause. You cannot have multiple causes. And you cannot have each cause doing its own kind of area of work. They would contradict each other. And, you know, we have that in the Holy Quran. Uh, if you look at the heavens and the earth, and there were more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if there was an, another divinity besides Allah, they would have been corrupted. As in, they would cease to exist. You cannot have a system of existence with more than one God in it. You cannot have the heavens and the earth exist with more than one God in it. That's what the Qur'an says. And of course, we also have an additional uh, you know, proof from Imam Ali salam in the letter he writes to Imam Hassan salam, in which he tells him, if there was another God, he would have sent you his prophets and you would have seen his signs. There can only be one, because everything you see looks like it's pointing to only one place. So where are the signs of that other, other God that we're talking about? Okay, so here, when he says that the single most important insight that has emerged from 2,500 years of scientific inquiry is that there is a deep unity. And then, so this is a footnote. At the end, he says, my own personal viewpoint is not just the extraordinary precision. So he believes that there is unity and it's based on math. And he explains not just the extraordinary precision, but also the subtlety and sophistication that we find in the mathematical laws operative at the foundations of physics seem to me to be much more than the mere expression of an underlying order in the workings of the world. Okay, so he's saying it's mathematics or the math that we have in the physics that run the world, that rule the world, is not just a language of the physics. Math itself has its own reality. Okay, that's another topic. All I'm trying to say is the greatest thinkers, the biggest thinkers in the world, when they look at the world and they study the world, they come to the conclusion that all of this is linked. And it's all part of one system built with everything in it in mind at the same time for the laws to work the way they do. So we cannot accept the idea that every cause is caused by all of the gods. It doesn't work because things have only one existence. And we cannot accept the idea that each god is ruling over only one specific area of existence because it's all connected. So what's left? The only other option that we have, and a lot of the pagan Arabs and others, when they believed in polytheistic uh, beliefs, they had polytheistic faiths or, or religions, this is what they believed in, option three, so those two first options are rejected, they believed that there's something that usually in English they translated as the Godhead so they believed that there's a whole community of gods, there's a whole lot of gods, with one Godhead one big God who is higher than them who manages more at a higher level, superior to all of them but they're all gods and who are those gods? So here you have all sorts of theories. Some of them say these are the angels. And the angels are in fact not like we believe, which is simply running the world like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks them to. No, they believe the angels are the daughters of Allah and that they're, they're lords themselves, they're gods themselves. That's what some of them believed. Others believed that it was demons 
Okay? And if you go into Greek mythology, Roman mythology, you find a little bit of that. Okay? So they believe there are all these other gods. Some of them believe that they are the ghosts or spirits of people who have died a long time ago and they become a lot more powerful and then they can have some sort of play a role in everyday life. Others believe that it's the planets or the stars and maybe people who fall under, you know, they take astrology too seriously fall under that. Okay, they, they feel that there is a direct influence, that affairs of the world are managed by, uh, you know, uh, things that exist in outer space, like planets or stars, for instance. Here the idea that we have is you have one bigger god and smaller gods, whatever they may be. Okay, there's all sorts of ideas about what they may be. Our question to them is this. Do you believe that those gods have the ability to manage independently or do they get their power to cause in the world through the big God? Can they do by themselves? Can they change the world on their own? Or is their power to change anything in the world, does it come from the Godhead, the bigger God? If they say that their power is autonomous and independent, then we fall back into one of the two first scenarios that we already discredited and refuted. Which is, okay, so are you saying they also have a causality with God or independently, and we have one system, we can't have more than one God. Okay? So that's done. So what's left? What's left is, no, no, they're going to say, no, no, no. They do, but under the general power and authority given to them by the Godhead. Ah, in that case, maybe you should not be calling them gods. And maybe you should not be saying that anything in the universe can do anything on its own without going through that Godhead. Because they're not really gods. They're entities that have been given a power, that have been given an authority, a faculty, a force to do something in the world. An example of that, I'll give two two types of examples, personal and impersonal. Impersonal, the sun. The sun has a whole lot of causality. Right? That's impersonal. It does what it does. Fire, water. They are causes. They cause things. Fire causes things. Where does that causality come from? That's the impersonal. Let's go personal. Let's go to the angels. What does the Quran say about the angels? Why do they exist? What do they do? They basically manage the affairs of the world. Everything that happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it happen through the angels. They manage the rain, they manage the wind, they manage life, they manage death, they manage rizq and sustenance. They manage everything. That's why in one word, in Surah Al-Nazi'at, it says, فَالْمُدَبِّرَاتِ amra," The managers of affairs. That's in summary what the angels do. Allah gives them specific tasks. Each one does their own task. Each one is responsible for one type of thing. But not independently. They're like soldiers who follow orders. This is my job, this is your job, this is his job, this is her job. Okay? So, if we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one cause one true cause, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has caused other intermediary entities to be able to play a role in the world, there's no issue with that. Just don't call them gods. They're not gods. There's only one God in how we described God and how we defined God. So the problem here becomes a problem of wording. They're just calling them gods or lords or whatever, when in reality these are not divinities or gods. They have nothing to do with gods. They're creatures. Created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to perform certain functions. 
He could have done it himself. He chose to create instead a type of world where he is not directly intervening. Everything is happening through another cause. There's a cause and effect and natural laws that manage everything. Okay? So what's the big conclusions from this? So the first conclusion is we go back to the point that we made, which is the real causality of the world only rests with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anything that happens in the world is going through Him. The only thing is, is it direct or indirect? So, most likely, everything is indirect. Everything that we know of is going through some other cause. But this doesn't mean that we have to lose track of the real cause, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are layers of causation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in place. This is the kind of world we live in. Does not mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed or is besides other entities that are also gods. That's one. And two, of course, we go from there to linking it back to therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one worthy of worship. And this is very deep, but I'm not going to spend more time on that. That's one. Two, for us practically, what this means is our true reliance in this world on causality, when you want to rely on a cause, should really be only reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you really understood everything we said, basically we're saying everything is in the hands of God including the management of the intermediary causes. Before I want to work to make money, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told me, want to work? These are things I have put in place. But I shouldn't lose track of the fact that even those causes are just intermediary causes. And that even those causes are controlled by Allah. So yes, I do put an effort. I make an effort to go and work or educate myself to get a degree, to get a good job. But at the end, all of this is still in the hands of God. Okay? So, never lose track of the fact that yes, we live in a world of intermediary causes. But don't get tricked by the intermediary causes as though they are ends in themselves, as though they, they are the real causes of anything. They are intermediary causes still under the affairs, under the management of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And practically, we're supposed to believe this every day. So this is just a reminder. When we say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدْ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ Every day, you alone do we worship, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدْ Do we really truly, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدْ And إِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ Is it really truly only you whose support I seek? Or do I seek the support of intermediary causes? When I seek the support of the intermediary cause, of my boss or my teacher or someone else, do I have you in mind? Or do I lose track of you and I think, oh, it's all in the hands of this person and there's nothing, that's it. They hold 100% of the cards. It's all in their hands. This person or this cause or this diploma I get or this job I get. Or th- These are all intermediary causes. They're in the middle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put them on the way. But don't forget that they're all in the hands of Allah. And if your reliance is truly on Allah, then you never fall under this situation of stress. Our stress comes from reliance on these causes and their unpredictability 
and the fact that you can't control them. Someone puts in all their life effort and savings and everything they can, all of their energy in a job. Two people do the same thing. One person is extremely successful and they become a millionaire and the other one goes bankrupt. If your reliance is on the intermediary causes, then you may go into a very severe depression and the world becomes meaningless and nothing makes any sense because you're only looking at those intermediary causes and you say, it doesn't make sense. We did the same thing. Yeah, but it's because there's a, a force behind all of this, making all of this work. And what may work for one may not work for the other. But you need to see the higher force. If you miss the higher force, that's it. You always fall in that dynamic, in that chain of you're looking at the intermediary causes and they're unpredictable. There's no set rules. You do this, you get that. It doesn't work that way. These are just intermediary causes. That's why the Quran says, Allah, those who have put the, their guardianship in Allah, they have made Allah their guardian, there is no fear for them, nor do they ever get distressed, or nor do they ever get sad. Their reliance is in Allah. Why would they get sad? I get, it's from Allah. I lose, it's from Allah. I aim from something, I didn't get it, it's from Allah. If my reliance is on Allah, that's it. So long as He's happy, I'm happy. I don't look at the intermediary causes. I don't look at the rest. My responsibility is to act, to do the best I can. The rest, I don't control. I have anything, I want something, I work and I ask Allah. I don't lose track of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? The last two points, and I, I think we've already exceeded the, the, the time. The last two points I wanted to make, I think they're a little bit too detailed for now, but very, very quickly. If we find ever that we hear of a creature, let's say an angel, let's say a saint, let's say a prophet or an imam, who did something that looks like it's breaking the laws of nature. Right? And sometimes in theology they call that wilaya taqwiniya, which means they have sovereignty, they have a power over existential affairs, the existence of things. If we ever find that, then does this automatically mean this person absolutely understands nothing? No, not in the way we explained it. There's a lot of things that have. In fact, anything that has any causality over anything else in the world, they have wilayat Just like we said, fire can burn. If I put this paper beside fire, it'll burn it. Well, this means that fire has a wilayat to burn this paper. Otherwise, if I put the paper beside fire, the same thing would happen as if I put it beside this book. Nothing would happen. What do you mean? Like, I thought you were talking about the guy, like, he, he, he'd do a miracle. Is that what you mean or no? So basically, I'm saying the guy doing the miracle is no different than the fire burning. This is a causality, a power to cause, given to them by God. So it doesn't mean that suddenly someone has become mughali or mushrik because they believe that a entity whatever it is, has a cause. My question always is, do we believe that that cause, the ability to do something, whatever it is, let's say to burn, is that independent or is it given by God? If everything is just an intermediary cause, 
whatever it does comes from God. So if we have verses of the Qur'an that say, Isa alayhi salam, Jesus was able to resurrect people and bring them back from the dead, suddenly do I become a, you know, someone who, who has ascribed too much power to a prophet? Do I necessarily have to say, he can never do that, it's only God? Yeah, it's only God for everything. We agree on that. But we also agree, we have to agree that Allah has put power in certain things to cause. That's why when I have a headache and I take a pill, my headache ceases. Because Allah put that kind of effect, that kind of causality in those ingredients. That when they go in me in a certain way, at a certain time, and I'm feeling something, that feeling ceases. Why does this happen with, let's say that pill, that Tylenol, and does it happen with something else? Because that ingredient has not been given that kind of causality. The same thing applies to a human being. The same thing would apply to a saint or to a prophet. When we say that they have the ability to modify the world, to do something to the world. This is not random. So it's a matter of, can anyone be given that or not? How does that work? That's a separate topic. We need to discuss it. But the idea in itself becomes very normal. There's no, no more issue in accepting that than accepting the causality of, let's say, fire or water or electricity or anything else. Okay? So that's one. And two, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we have people who say, for instance, I'm going to do tawassul. So let's link it back. What is this tawassul? This intercession that I am seeking through some other means when I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do I ask Allah directly or can I ask through an intermediary? Well, again, it depends. What intermediary are we talking about? So let's talk about the idea of the tawassul first, the idea of tawassul. What does it mean? It means you use an intermediary. That's all it means. Okay, so my question to you, if you're feeling thirsty right now, and you want to be truly, truly muwahid and only relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what should you do? You should open your hands in prayer and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove the thirst from you. That's what a muwahid, true relying on Allah would do. Right? You should not rely on any other means. You should not rely on any other intermediaries to go to Allah. You go to Allah for all your affairs, directly. No, Say, Allah... You should go through his, the causality that crunches the thirst through him. Why? Because uh, he didn't... Because he doesn't, like... Uh, sometimes... He doesn't... He doesn't, like, uh, do it directly to us. Ah, so he created a system where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you, if you want to go, if you want to reach a certain end, this is the path I put for you. So in the case of thirst, what I put for you as a means, as an intermediary, you can come to me through worship, okay? Or you can drink water. And I made the water quench your thirst. I gave it that causality. I gave it that power. You may use it as a means to that end. So I did tawassul of water to remove my thirst. I used it as a wasila. I used it as a means to an end. That's a wasila. In Arabic, a wasila is a means to an end. So I did tawassul. So 
So God quenched your, your thirst because that's his cause. That's his because cause. nothing has any causality except Allah. True causality. Mm-hmm. But as a secondary causality, Allah has given some powers to some entities. Mm-hmm. And He has told us what does what. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells me, if you're asking for the forgiveness of your sins, here's the path, here's the wasila, here's the means I have given you, and if I go to it, does it mean that I have become mushrik? Well, in the same sense that I have become mushrik in drinking water. Yes. So if you accept it here, you accept it here. I'm only mushrik in the sense that I have accepted to use the means Allah has given me. When the Holy Quran says, وَابْتَغُوا إِلَيْهِ الْوَسِيلَةِ If you want to reach Allah, use the wasila to get to Allah. And then you go to the Prophet, you go to the Imams, and you ask them, what is the wasila? What is this wasila that Allah is asking about? And then we give the details. So if we establish that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, if you want to reach ends A, uh, conclusion A, you go through this path. Conclusion B, you go through this path. You want to come to me, do this. You want to do that, use that saint. You want to do this, read the Quran. You want to go here, do this. There's no problem with that. We're saying all of this causality at the end is in the hands of God. He's the one who put this in place and He's told us. In fact, you can add, especially when you say He has ordered us to use that means. I know, so now it's not only that I don't want to rely on Allah directly, it's that my job is to follow the commands of Allah. And He's telling me, if you want to quench your thirst, you drink water. You're not allowed to kill yourself and not drink water. If you're hungry, you must eat. And I have put the food to remove your, your hunger. So you must use that cause. And the same thing for Tawassal. Okay? So we can explain that in a lot more detail, but I think that wraps up the, generally speaking, the, the topic. So with this, we've covered not only all the objections to the existence of God and atheism, but the main objections, the idea of polytheism, where it came from, what we mean by different gods, what are the different scenarios and the objections or refutations to all of them, and the two big, two or three big points that are related to that, which are wilayatakwiniya, one of them and the other one being tawassal. Okay? So depending on the interest in this, we could stay a little bit longer, not necessarily any today, but I mean in next, uh, next sessions to delve deeper into any of this. Or if you guys feel that this is good, then inshallah we can move to the last topic related to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is divine justice, as we explained. Okay? Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi